You're visiting the mom next door and our stories of faith. I'm glad you dropped by for a visit. Please stay a while and hear what the Lord has done in the lives of moms just like you and me. Well, welcome back, friends. And if you did not catch last week's episode, you're going to want to jump back and listen to that at some point, because today's is actually a part two of our conversation between Thelma English and myself. Today, she is going to be talking about moving on into that phase of being a new wife And she has the perspective of someone becoming a new wife, but also um, becoming, uh, watching her children move into that phase as well. So all sorts of good information here. So let's just jump right in and see what Grandma Thelma has to share with us. Well, moving on to once you get married and you're a young wife, uh, I... I think the time that I valued the most was the time I spent with my grandma Thelma. My grandma Thelma lived until I was 38 years old. She taught me how to do everything. I was 38 and I still had my grandma. That's she, amazing. She taught me how to do everything. She was an amazing woman. I was with her when she was speaking her last words. Her last, she could barely talk and her last words, she said to me, she said, I have sins. And we prayed, we even prayed a sinner's prayer just in case we, we prayed. But I, I believe my grandma was saved. But it was an old-fashioned type of belief. And so sometimes you don't always know. Do they think they know God? Do they really? Mm-hmm. And then her last statement was, my daughters. She mm-hmm. wanted to take her daughters with her someday. Oh. And she was very concerned because her daughters were in fighting and things like that. She had mm-hmm. four girls. And that time that I spent with my grandma was my essential learning time and I learned how to do it right because we not only have to learn how to live and we're on our own we don't all have wonderful mothers or fathers some of us were my brother was beaten my dad never beat me because I was a girl but my mother was beaten and my brother was beaten and locked in closets some of us have a lot of luggage and baggage that we have to overcome when we become Christians and get past you have to put it behind you and say goodbye and understand a whole idea of rebirth this is a new life none of that applies now this is a brand new life it does not apply but I learned so many of those things from my grandma and now that I'm old and have rheumatoid arthritis and I've had cancer now I realize how hard that must have been for her to grow old graciously incredible but I was learning all of those things and I do feel sorry for people who lose their grandmas young because the grandma a Christian grandma is an incredible source Uh, a wealth of knowledge, incredible source. This is what you do. You always have food ready. You always have things that you can throw together to provide for a meal. You always cook extra food so you can send things home with people. And so you can, you know, appear to be generous and you give things to poor people and you prepare things for poor people, people who can't have food and people who need, if they need a coat, buy them a coat. If they need diapers, buy them diapers. My grandma was always that person and I learned how to be that person. And my mom was very generous too. She just didn't have anything to be generous too. But I've seen my mother take off her coat and give it to a homeless person. Mm. And my mom had nothing, working one and a half jobs for her entire life. So... Moving on to, uh, as a young wife, um, are we moving on? Well, actually, you see me getting antsy because you actually, um, how important, you said I I feel bad for 
young women who don't have a godly grandma. Yes. I think that is a great opportunity to put a plug in for being that older grandma. Yes. And I think sometimes um, I'm just moving into it. I'm 48. I'm beginning to be a grandma. Um, But there's always somebody younger. And I think so much we live in this um, limited area of influence and we, we just think, oh, yeah, that gal's struggling, but I wouldn't want to insert myself in her life. I wouldn't want, I, I don't want to tell her what to do. Um, I'm sure she'll figure it out. When as a young lady, um, even a middle-aged lady, we all need someone who's stepped before. Yes. Who can point us on yes. the way. And it's, they're definitely Bible study, definitely going yes. through spiritual truths. But there's also those very practical things like, yes. hey, um, bake double, freeze half, you know. Right. And and there's always some of those practical life tools that are learned by living in community with other women. And so I would just, just before you move on, I was thinking, oh, yes, um, you know, if you're younger, you need to be seeking out that older woman. If you Somebody might assume that you have an older woman in your life. But they don't know that you don't. So if you're younger, seek out that older woman. And if you are older, be prepared to speak out when they come into your life and know that you do have authority to encourage and to bless them and to um, just keep them going towards um, towards this wonderful yes, ideal. Excellence, right. Yes, yes. Yeah, excellent ideal. Yes, yes. Yeah. yes. Amen. Amen to that. Yep. Yeah. Is, is that it? Yep, you're back onto your list now. Okay. My slight derailment is over. All right. (laughs) All right. Moving on, as a young wife, you know, how do you know how to be a young wife? My mom was never got to be a young wife. She got to be married about seven years, long enough to have four children, and she never got to even learn how to be a wife. So I couldn't learn it from my mom. I did learn a lot from my grandma, the way she honored my grandpa. But being a young wife is hard. You get married. You love them. Uh, It's all about the love and the feelings and all of the emotions and all of that for a little while. And then something comes up and they leave their socks on the floor. And you think, how can my true love, my knight in shining hour, in my knight in shining honor, how can he leave his socks on the floor? Mm. How can that happen? And that's going to happen. And it took me quite a few years to get some good advice and learn how to be a better young wife. Uh, course time with my grandma, I learned how to be a good wife. Supporting Mark in all things. We're at the point now, I always tell people, we've been married 43 years now, and we're to the point that I completely trust Mark in all things, and he knows it. If we were walking across a bridge and Mark said, jump, because I, I would jump. I wouldn't look. I wouldn't think. I would jump. I trust him with my life. If he says... If he thinks, if he says, Thelma, I think that's too much. I don't think you can do that this year. I believe him. And I thank God, no matter how hard my heart wants to do that thing, I thank God that I have Mark there to control me. And I think, what if he wasn't here? He had a heart incident a couple of years ago. And I think now, what if he wasn't here to be my guide? I would be making bad decisions. And he knows better than I do how I should be spending my time. He is amazing. He has had to be a father and a husband to me, and I realize that's unusual and unique, but I grew up without a father, completely. 
I had my grandpa Charlie, but they lived at the beach. He was not available all the time. My grandpa Charlie did take me for a date when I was 16. He took me to a fancy restaurant and I got to dress up and it was just, I'll never forget that date. You know, mm-hmm. and I'm 63 now. But Mark had to kind of be, he still has to kind of be the dad. You might still, is your dad living? No. No. So there are things you ask your dad that you trust him about. And Mark has had to be that for me. And I think it's an extra burden for him and speaks to his ability to be all the things that I need. Because he is all of those things. He's really been the only true dad that I've known and husband. And we were very young. We were both 19. I'm seven weeks older than Mark is. And so, (laughs) yes, our family, we like younger guys. Um, One thing that I have learned is to never talk about your husband behind your back and not ever. And you have to let go. When you get married, you have to get let go of childish tantrums and the whimpering thing where you throw little fits. But I wanted to do this, the types of things you used to do at home. And it's very easy if you get married young to still be childish and to still whimper and complain and whine. And you, it is time to grow up. It's time to grow up. It's try, time to quit whimpering. And I've heard so many young people who will talk about their husbands behind their back. I was at a retreat, a women's retreat, and then when women were talking even about intimate things and laughing, and I thought, oh, you will regret this. You, yeah. This should not be said. This can get around. You at least will know this in your heart. It would hurt your husband more than you ever know. It is no one's business that you had an argument or that you have intimacy issues. It is no one's business. That is between you and God and your husband alone. The two of you should be bearing your souls before God on your knees in prayer. And it is not anyone else's business. It's not something, if you want to know how not to get pregnant or how to deal with pregnancy, of course you can ask your mother. But not personal issues between you and your husband. Those are for you alone. And I have heard many women say things that I think I know that they will later regret. Uh, and I think, when I remember when I first got married and we maybe did have that first fight or I was upset with my husband about something and you know you just my mom happened to call or stop by or something and I complained about him I can't even remember how long ago it is and and she was heart hurt for me as my mom she was heart hurt for me and then you know life went on she went home I you know we did our life we um, worked through whatever it was, and we're good, right? But did I take the time to go back and call my mom and say, hey, by the way, you know I was a little bent out of shape because he did this or that? Probably not. And I think when we do and we, uh, I mean, I know women often do this because emotionally they're drained or they feel like they need support or it's a prayer request. Right, um, right. So, so they reveal all this information. And sadly, like you said, word does get around. Right. And if you can't go back and put that right, it is going to shed your relationship and your husband in a very poor light. Yes. And I think that's a really important thing to remember. It's easy to download on yes. somebody. Yes. And it's much yes. harder to keep track of those who you download on and go back and let them know that um, things are good. Yes. And we, the high wife, the excellent wife, we are supposed to be the crown of our husband. 
what does uh, what what does that mean metaphorically if we are a crown for our husband it means he feels like a king hmm. we make him feel like he is a king and that's what we're supposed to be like and that means we cannot share intimate issues and and problems or if he got angry one time at us now i can say that in 43 years i've only seen mark angry two or three times ever He's never had an anger problem. He's always the solid one. And I suppose if your husband has an anger problem, you might end up seeking some counsel if it's a regular thing. But that has to be that has to be a big deal for you to go seek counsel and share that with someone. So I think a really good practice would be because we so accidentally and so easily fall into sometimes speaking negatively. Yes. I think it would be a very good practice to put into our mind yes. every day. What is something that is great about our relationship? What's something really awesome I appreciate about my spouse? Or um, how has he blessed me? And just try to, what does the Bible say? Whatever is good, whatever is noble, whatever is excellent and praiseworthy. Yes. Those are the things we're supposed to think about. And if we can build that muscle in our, our, so it becomes an involuntary muscle to say those things and to speak on those things how much easier it will be to control our tongue against yes. the negative things. With Mark and I, it's always been mutual. He always treats me like a princess or a queen. And I always treat him like a king, especially when we were young. If he had a friend over, I made sure that there was a pie or a cake or a dessert and invited him to come and stay for dinner. And I always, would you, would you guys like more iced tea? Can I make you some coffee? I always did that. And I could tell from the looks on their faces, they thought, wow. Look at Mark's wife. And that's the lady you want to be. You want his friends to go home and they all say, wow, look at Mark's wife. That's what I want to be. I want to be Mark's wife. I don't want to be Thelma. I want to be, I mean, I am Thelma in the Lord, but I want to be the awesome wife that everyone thinks isn't that wonderful the way she treats her husband. And my friends, Mark does the same for me. Of course, he, he does it more naturally than I do. And it comes very natural to him. He always is all about me. He says, no, you come in and let me do that. He says, no, I don't want you out there today. I don't want you to do that today. If he'll talk about yard work and things like that. And he's very guarded of me. He makes sure that I'm safe. And he knows I don't like driving around and that I get lost and all that. And it took him, for about the first 10 years, he tried to teach me directions. And when it became obvious it was an inborn thing, he is very guarded and does not allow me to run around or try and go places I shouldn't go. He'll even drive me there. He'll take me. But, you know, really the things that we say, one thing I learned from my friend Rhonda, I think you know Rhonda, and Rhonda told me one time, she said, don't be offended. She said, choose to not be offended. And I thought, oh my goodness, is that a choice? To not be offended is a choice? It is a choice. Your husband leaves his socks on the floor. But what's the other 99% of his personal testimony with you? That he's awesome and takes care of you and provides for you. In the early years, Mark would work 60, 70 hours a week. He was working seven days a week sometimes to provide for us, working to get bonuses and working to pay for braces and all types of things. And then if he left his socks on the floor, am I really going to complain about that? That half a 1% of him? Well, and if, if truth be told... There's probably something that you and I have done that is of equal caliber in his mind, right? Yes, (laughs) exactly. And so we do, we need to choose to not be offended. 
Choose to not be offended. And that's huge. I wish I had learned that 43 years ago instead of 20 years ago. I wish mm-hmm. I had learned. That was profound for me. It's a self-control thing. Yes. And learning self-control. Another reason yes. to work on teaching our children self-control. Yes. Because that's going to come in handy in all areas yes. of life. And that's important for us as parents if we lose it with our kids. We apologize and we tell our children, you know, Dad and I, if we offend each other, we put it all on the weight of the scales and realize his offenses are almost nothing. And everything that he does that shows his love for me outweighs those offenses. And I hope you can do that for me. I hope that when I respond in anger or too quickly, that I can ask your forgiveness and that you will not hold it against me. I Mm. hope you will look at all of my mothering and say, I know my mom loves me and means for the best, and I will choose to forgive her, and I will choose to not be offended and hold it against her. And so we do that with each other. Um, You know, it really comes back to the tongue again. The tongue is so powerful, everything. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. That's Proverbs 18. And the heart of her husband trusts in her. He will have no lack again. She does him good and not harm all the day of her life. My idea is to speak only encouraging words. There are always critical words you can say, but I have determined to only speak encouraging words. And I bite my tongue the rest of the time. If I can't, it goes back to your mother saying, if you can't say something nice, don't say anything. Mm -hmm. And that is a true word. Speak only encouraging words. And that applies to your children. If they are struggling with a subject, you encourage them with what they can do, not with what they're unable to do. Um, I think there's another verse that comes to mind sometimes when, you know, in our emotions and in our gut, we're like, oh, I'm so ready to react. Yes. And it's not yes. just in our marriage. It can be in our marriage. It can be friendships. It can be something that goes on with our children or um, any extended area. And that there's a verse, I think it might be an Acts. We, were me- we memorized it for Bible quizzing okay. several years ago. Um, it's that be still, the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. No, yes. not Acts. Uh, Exodus. I think it's an Exodus. Oh, um, sure. Okay. It's a vowel, I think. <laughs> anyway, I think it's be still, the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. And I think sometimes what I've found is that gut response ends up very negatively. And yes. then when I have held my tongue and I've waited and I've remembered, just be still. The Lord's going to fight for you. You know, he he's going to come through. And if I just hold my tongue and wait it out... A lot of times, it things um, work themselves out. Yes. You know, I teach literature. In literature, we call that worldview where you are responding by instinct and emotion. Uh, for example, some people say you have to do what your heart tells you to do. You have to follow your heart. And, of course, we know those are all, that's very bad advice, poor advice, because your heart is deceitfully wicked. Uh, and the things that come out of your heart are horrible things. So we know that a it's called a romantic worldview in literature and that is where you respond by instinct and emotion and america we have become so romantic where we respond by emotions and instinct in fact that's the problem with what we're where we're at right now people are responding about emotionally they're responding emotionally and so they're getting angry and and breaking things and and they're getting angry it's an emotional response and they're just doing things by instinct and so a lot of people are getting in trouble but that's what would be a romantic worldview Mm. rather than a biblical worldview where you do what is right 
do right. justly, walk righteously before the Lord, right. and do what is right. right. You know what is right to do. Right. And we as individuals, as children, as teens, as parents, as grandparents, as young marrieds, we are required to do what is right, not what we feel like doing. Right. We cannot, if we go by our emotions, we're going to be hitting our kids. We're going to be hollering at our husbands. We're going to be living under the circumstances where if we're poor and we can't make our house payment or our rent, that we're mad at each other rather than waiting to see what the Lord's going to do to rescue us. Because I was young and now I am old and I have yet to see the Lord's uh, children abandoned. That's a horrible misquote. Uh, but... It is very true. I have been married for 43 years, and God has rescued us from all mm -hmm. types of things, yeah. whether they were financial or physical, medical, you name it, all types of circumstances. Um, and something I like to tell young moms is intimacy. You know, we, we grow up, we tell our girls, this is what we're saving ourselves. We're saving ourselves for marriage. Like I said, we didn't even hold hands until uh, we'd been courting for a while. Of course, we only knew each other seven months. And intimacy can't be hard for girls because we're told so long to wait, it's hard to know that it's okay. And sometimes it's harder for us and the guys are so eager. It's so easy for men and harder for women. And it's very, very important for us to realize that when the Bible says in Proverbs 5, rejoice in the wife of your youth, let her fill you with delight, be intoxicated with her love. And there's something else about breasts in there that I skipped. <laughs> but be intoxicated with her love, that's being drunk with her love. You, we have to be there for our husbands. We have to be there for that need. We have to. We just have to. And you have to. You must obey the Lord in that. It does not doesn't matter how you feel or about your heart. It's so important to men, and that's one of the ways that we yield to them and show them how much we appreciate the way that they are taking care of us and honoring us. It's just part of the mix. And it's a beautiful part of the mix. And it's important that our kids see that we love each other. It's, it's very important. Mark used to corner me in the laundry room uh, to kiss. He used to corner me in there and get me alone sometimes. And the kids always thought that was really funny. They cover their eyes. They're yes, like, oh, yes. he's doing it again. Yes. He's kissing her. And Bill and Krista, when they were engaged, their parents watched them very closely. And we watched them very closely. And they would come to our house and they wanted to sit up late. And I would sit in the kitchen with the door open, double doors, and just try to stay awake while they're in there just all the love talk and all the praying right. and everything because they didn't trust themselves to be alone and we didn't trust them either and so they did really well that way but it was cute and just before about a week before the wedding they'd finished all their marriage counseling and her parents were at our house we were all at our house and I told Bill and Chris I said if you guys would like 45 seconds alone in the utility room you can have it <laughs> and they were so embarrassed of course they didn't even want to go in the utility room uh, they but, knew what happened in the utility room right but they knew but they knew that in my way I was saying you are almost there you're almost one and I'm so happy for you that you're going to have your own utility room where you can sneak away anytime you want and have that privacy together and I'm excited for you and that meant the world because it's hard to tell a daughter-in-law I'm happy that you make my son happy uh, but I've even asked my daughter-in-law are there any things I should be ordering on Amazon are there any you know especially in their early days I would say do you love this yeah. well I want you to have it then and she would be so embarrassed and I'd say well, I think Bill would like this and then I would <laughs> buy it um, and that is so 
you came with pages and pages of notes yes. and we are hardly we are yeah. hardly in there. And so that is I, I kinda can't wait to hear what else you have. But <laughs> I'm hoping and if it's not, I can imagine having Grandma Thelma hours several different times. We'll have you just keep coming back because I wanna hear um how you transitioned for like when your children got to that dating age, how did you prepare them to date? How did you prepare your own heart for your children to be of dating age? I have um, I have one that's married, and I know I had a friend ask me, my, my kids are getting to that dating age, and I know they're probably ready for it, and I know I... I know I did all the things as a mother to train them in the Lord, to train them about a biblical relationship. I know that they are ready for that relationship, but all of a sudden as a mom, I'm starting to panic a little bit that I'm not ready for them to be in that relationship. And so that's like, that's another um, topic to some some point take a run at. Yes, yes. Oh, those are fun ones. We basically said, you kiss them, you marry them. You know, if you get to that point where you want to kiss them, you're ready to marry them. And we had Bill sit at the end of our bed every week. I closed my door, took him in my bedroom, put him at the seat, end of the bed, and I said, have you touched Krista? She is not your wife. She is Bob Bernhard's daughter. Yeah. And we had these heart-to-heart talks to make sure they stayed on track. Well, and we, when Lots our kids were reaching that age, we told them, you should not start anything that you do not intend to finish. Yes. And so, you know, is it realistic for you to get married, you know, to start at the age of 14? Yes. 13, 14. Is it realistic that you're going to be in this relationship and have it end in marriage? You know, it's probably a little too soon. So, you know, when you are 17 or you are, you know, you're getting to that older age when you could realistically yes. Yes. carry on an engagement in a, in a courtship yes. or dating or dorting or whatever we're going to call yes. it, um, then then you could complete yes. what you... Yes. I do think as you get close to 18, as you get pretty close to 18, that you could be, it depends on when who you've met. If there's somebody you've met who's very special, it's very possible that you begin, you get close to 18 and that it is time for things to start moving mm-hmm. forward. Like I said, we were married at 19. And some are not ready when no. they're 24, 25. So, yes. so it's not even so much the numerical age, um, but the process yes. and the maturity yes. and and the ability to yes. move on. Yes. Well, this has been a delight, Pam. You're okay. so much fun. I, I, I will tell you right now, I was thinking as I'm, I'm kind of watching the clock that yes. how... Am I going to split this and where am I going to split it? But I know we have just not even finished your stuff. So I don't know where I'm going to sure. cut it. But sure. if you have more that you want to share and you have the time, you're welcome to keep going. Like, oh, okay. Why? Then let's, then let's yeah. keep going while we're on our roll. Yeah. Like, rather, okay. you're really coming over yes. to my house as the mom next door. Yes. And, you know, once yes. you make the trip, we might as well make yes. it worth it. Okay. Well, I think. Moving into the next category, leaving intimacy behind, is the problem with young couples and anger. We all know, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. And that was a big deal for Mark and I. We had to learn these things. He would leave work and he would go off with some friend to have a Coke or burritos. He was always eating. It was always food. Something like that. Two plates versus one plate. Yes, two plates. 
and and not tell me where he was. Now this is before cell phones. We were married in 77. There are no cell phones, but there are telephones. And I would get quite upset. And we had to learn those things that you have to let one another know where you are and things like that. Uh, and we had our times. I was mad one time. I was pregnant. I was expecting Zach. I was 29. And Mark had gone off on a work ski trip. And I was angry that he left because I was due, you know, any time. And I was so mad that I thought, I'm going to teach him a lesson. And I went out and I split a quarter wood. And I was big pregnant. And now this is this is not the Thelma you know. This is the young Thelma. That's, that's teaching somebody a lesson. But that yes. <laughs> and of course I got a gigantic hernia the size of a man's fist. I ended up with this huge hernia. And so after Zach was born, then I had to have a hernia repaired. And all because of my anger. And Mark came home with twisted knee. And so we both we both had done wrong. He probably shouldn't have gone. And I certainly shouldn't have reacted the way I reacted. It was just infantile. But when you're young, uh, but then that's, that's 10 years into our marriage. I was still, we still had that. That was infrequent, but we still did things like that. Um, and that's where choosing not to be offended, I say I wish I had known that earlier. But then in, in 1980, I had an experience that changed us forever. That was my first near-death experience. In 1980, Bill was nine months old. And I, it was October, the year he was born, and I had a very severe internal infection. It was a gallbladder, which now is just a in in-house operation. But then it was a 12-day stay, and I have a 14-inch incision, and so it was quite deadly then. And I almost bled to death. And there I was in the hospital with a nine-month-old baby, and I was dying. And they were trying to rescue me, and I was I was just bleeding. And they were trying to stop the bleeding, trying to find where the bleeding was from. I was in the hospital 12 days, and for the first week of that, I was pretty much delirious from low blood pressure and blood loss. Was not, didn't stand up till about day 10, and then they sent me home by day 12. I was fine, but Mark had to deal with being left alone with a nine-month-old baby, and of course, all the family, the grandmas and the aunts, everybody stepped up to take care of the baby. But I had my first near-death experience. A really mean nurse came in and she said, everybody gets up. You're going to get up. It's been five days. You're getting up. And so she got me up and that was it. When you're, when you're bleeding, you can't stand up. And so I passed out and I had that experience where you're floating against the ceiling and watching them. And she was saying, Mrs. English, Mrs. English, are you okay? And I was trying to tell her, but I couldn't speak. And I was watching myself, and she went and pulled the cord in the bathroom. They came in, and they were working on me, trying to bring me back. Mm -hmm. And I didn't go very far. I never left the room. Some people talk about going places. I never actually left the room. But I did definitely have a sense that I got to choose whether I wanted to go or stay. And I wanted to stay. I looked at Mark, and he was in the corner crying. And I wanted to stay. And I was back. And on the day I left, the nurse came in. And she apologized, and she told me she was so glad I was alive. And I told her the story of everything that she did. And she was, you know, turned white as a ghost to think that I saw all of that when I obviously was unconscious near death. And then the most remarkable thing on day 12 when I left was this young priest came in. And this priest came in, and he said, Mrs. English, he said, I heard you're leaving today, and I just had to tell you, he said, that talk that we had, I want to tell you, that I have committed my life to Jesus Christ. And I looked at that young priest, I was up at St. Vincent, and I thought, who are you? You know, when did we talk? 
But apparently, in all the delirium and all the morphine and the blood loss, apparently he came in to see me, thinking that perhaps I was dying, and I must have witnessed to him. Uh, and I do not remember a thing about it. But we look back on that instance and we say, if I had to go through that for that priest to get saved, imagine the ripple effect. Hmm. That that. So when you go through something horrible, you lose your house, you almost die from cancer, you almost die on the table in surgery, there are always pieces to the puzzle that we cannot see. And if we could see the whole picture, we would rejoice when we miscarry. We would rejoice when we almost die. We would rejoice when our mother passes. We would rejoice to be widowed. And I know those are hard words to say, but they are true words. If we could see God working in our life, we would accept with joy all things that he sends into our lives. And that was our first big thing that we went in together, through together, and realized God is bigger than us, and he's bigger than our lives, and we may not get what we want, and our plans may not all work out. Uh, it's just the way God works. There's a verse that reminds me of, um, I can't remember exactly where it is, is like right now we see things as through a cloudy mirror, Yes. but when we are with the Lord, we will see things with perfect clarity. Face to face, yes. Yeah. Yeah, yes. because we, we don't. We don't know what's the long, you know, he has a plan and he's knitting and weaving and, and bringing a, a, about all these things. And we may know 10, 15, 20 years down the road why something happened. It may make sense, yes. but it may never make yes. sense on this side of heaven. Yes. And 1980 was the first year of AIDS. And so I lived for two years waiting to see if I would get AIDS because I ended up with eight blood transfusions. And so we waited to see if I would get AIDS. And we had to just give it over to the Lord. And of course, I didn't get it. Yeah. I was very thankful for yeah. that. But, you know, and we, the other, I'm not moving into another slight topic, is making do with less. Most people are poor when they get married. And if you get married young, yes, you do spend more time together. I'm very glad we got married at 19. We kind of finished our childhoods together. Anything fun I ever did, I did with Mark. Anything. I never did anything fun with anybody else. Growing up as the oldest girl in a family of four with my mom working one and a half jobs, I didn't have fun. I didn't go to friend's house. I didn't have friends over. We didn't do anything like that. And so Mark was the first person I ever had fun with. And, and Mark is fun. And so he delighted in taking me places and doing things that we could have fun. And we learned how to do fun with zero money because mm -hmm. we didn't have any money. Mm -hmm. And so we learned how to do fun and it didn't take any money. Uh, and we learned to be gracious for, to be thankful and, gra and, and grateful for the things that we had. People want bigger cars. They want better cars. We lived with one car for 19 years. The first 19 years of our marriage, we lived with one car. We couldn't afford another car. Uh, some people want nicer houses, nicer things. People now don't even know what it's like. Our, with the first time we tried to buy a house was in 1980. Interest was 17%, and we couldn't qualify. You can look it up. 1980. 17% and we all thought it was going nowhere but up. And so we thought we'll never own a home. When we did buy a home in 1985, our first home, it was interest was 12.5% and we thought that was a deal. And now think of 2020, you can get a loan now for 2.5%. Wow. Yeah. And so you may think things are bad. Oh, we'll never have a nice car. We'll never be able to buy a house. In a moment, in just a moment, 
Everything can change. Yeah. One phone call, things can change. In just a moment, your whole life can change. And so there's no time really for whining in a marriage and complaining about what you don't have. You must look at what you have and be grateful for what you do have. When your husband dies, you have to be grateful. When I thought Mark was maybe going to die a couple of years ago, he had uh, tachycardia when his heart rate was 233 and they'd never seen a person walking and talking. Usually they drop dead. And I, I, I determined if I lose him now, I will just be grateful for the 41 years that I had him. Yeah. You have to do that. If your dad dies young, you must be grateful for the years you had a dad. I didn't even have a dad. You have to be grateful for the things that you have. And sometimes as young wives, we have these excessive, unwarranted, ridiculous princess dreams that we're going to have a big house and someday we'll have a lot of money. And we have these ridiculous dreams or we collect things and we have little cabinets with little collection and things like that. And then we don't, not only do we not have enough, we don't ever have enough to give. No matter how poor you are, you should always have something to give. You should always be able to give to others. That's part of life is serving others and giving. I have tried to live my adult life as a giver as a server, serving other people, helping younger people to make it through those 20s and 30s and 40s that are hard because sometimes you still haven't given up and said goodbye to those childish princess dreams. Well, I think sometimes the thing that is the big, biggest extinguisher of joy there is comparison. Yes. Because that's what is causing us to want all those things. Yes. What is, you know, the, the obsessive... Um, nature of that sometimes yes. is that we see and we don't have we yes. and so learning that contentment and not comparing exactly thinking your kitchen has to be updated every 10 years and all of those ridiculous things those are those are ridiculous in the grand scheme of life we're like a blade of grass we're here today gone tomorrow what on earth does updating a kitchen, unless you're making your kitchen more serviceable and making it bigger for your bigger family, but just updating to update to some newer, more modern color, unless you really have that type of excess income where it doesn't matter, that money would probably be better used somewhere else, either investing so your kids don't have to take care of you later, or giving, giving. Yeah. Uh, I have always worked part-time teaching, and I've sometimes I have sometimes all of my students pay, sometimes seventy-five percent of them pay. Uh, but I've always had a small side income, and we've always used that income for giving. Yeah, that's always been our giving income, so that we don't even uh, we do not affect our budget at all in giving. But you must be giving, and you must be as soon as you are able to volunteer. When you have no small children in the home anymore. You need to be volunteering because your children need to see you volunteering. We must always volunteer. There well, are always even when those. they're in the home. I mean, you don't even have to wait for the youngest yes. one to grow up. There are ways that we can be actively serving the body of Christ yes. and unbelievers, even with your family. There's family yes. ways to volunteer, and that's a yes. great thing because it does train them. There is always a neighbor that you can take a meal to and say, could I pray for you? And you take your children with you yeah. and you see, this is how we do neighbors. Yeah. And this is how we do unsaved relatives. We don't resent them and talk about them before holidays. We say, now what can we do with your unsaved cousins? Yeah. What can we say that will not offend them, but will tell them about Jesus? That yeah. won't build a wall, but will take a wall down. Yeah. What can we do? Yeah. And now we have all types of issues. There's a transgender guy I run into at the fabric store mm -hmm. now and then, who's in there dressed as a woman, trying desperately to look like a woman. 
But of course, being from the 70s, I've never even worn makeup. And so I don't, you know, my ideal of a woman is no makeup, but these poor people trying to look like something they are not. And I, I always, I tell myself, this is a person for whom Jesus died. Absolutely. Jesus died for this person. This person needs to be respected and they need to be loved for their personhood, yeah. not for the life they are choosing. I will let the Holy Spirit do the convicting and I will be God's hands and feet and do the loving. Yeah. I will not, if someone asks me what I think, I will say, you need to talk with God about this. Yeah. If you really want me to show you verses, I can show you verses, but I'm doubting you're ready for that yet. Yeah. I think right now what you need to hear is how much God loves you. Yeah. And then I talk about myself. You know, I was a liar. I was a deceiver. I exaggerated to get my brother in trouble all the time. Yeah. And God dealt with all those things. But after I got saved, right. and I still have sin, but I kind of like the Holy Spirit to do the convicting. And he will. Any sins you have, God will work out with you and the Holy Spirit will do the convicting. We try to clean our fish before they're caught. Mm -hmm. And you just can't do that. You just can't do that. And so our kids need to see us being like that with the community, with our neighbors, with people we run into. They need to see this is how you interact with people who are completely foreign to your little wonderful Christian homeschool bubble. And that's important in our parenting too, to remember that our children do not come out perfect out yes. of the womb. Yes. There is a process. We've learned things. We know we are in a process of refinement. And how can we expect any different from them? So just as the Lord is taking, oh my goodness, I'm 48, I'm still learning things. Um, yes, I need to train and direct my children, but I, I remember um, we used to listen to Bill Gaither back you yes. know, when I was little, yes. and there was, um, I am a promise, I am a possibility, I am a promise with a capital P, and I remember I liked that because my name started with a P, so that was oh. like my song, because I am a promise, my oh, name cute. starts with a capital P, and um, so that there was a, a few different on that album, I think, that talked about the Lord still working on me, I, yes. I'm under construction, I think that was it, kids under construction, yes. you know, the paint's still wet, he's still forming us, and that's a good thing to remember as a parent, we can teach and train, but we are also not the Holy Spirit for our children. <laughs> yes, yes. And that is true. They have to be convicted on their own. Uh, but I think, you know, we, for most of us, just learning to always pray and always give thanks. And for our children to learn how to pray. Or if you're praying with a neighbor, well, you know the way I usually pray at home is I usually give thanks first. I said, could I give thanks first? And then we pray. I pray out loud. Lord, I just give thanks that, you know, Verna is my neighbor, and I give thanks that you let me know that she needed help, that we could come over here and serve her. I give thanks for how, uh, what a beautiful spirit she has. And Lord, now we ask that you would touch this cancer, and we pray for your will. And then I pray for that person. But I try to set the pattern, and then my kids realize, first we praise God. And all of life is suffering with things being taken away from you. All of life. You're going to lose your mobility. You might lose your hearing. You might lose a hand. Uh, you might lose your husband. You'll lose your grandparents. Then you lose your parents. You might lose some siblings. All of life is loss. And so you have to prepare yourself. The world is not ending because we have loss. This is the way of the world. Mm -hmm. When your dad dies when he's 40, yes, that's hard. But 
You had them until you were 20 mm -hmm. or 22. Mm -hmm. You think of the people who don't have dads and you have to give thanks that you had your dad for 20 years or that you had your husband for 10 years or 20 years or 40 years. We give thanks for what we have first and then we bring our supplication to the Lord. And then we always conclude with, but I want your will to be done. Don't mm -hmm. give it to me if it's bad for me. Because sometimes I'm begging God and I do finish with, please don't give it to me if it's bad for me. Oh, yeah. I don't, I don't want it. If it's not your perfect will, I don't want your permissive will. I want your perfect will, God. Slam doors shut. You tell us if this is wrong. Tell me. Tell me now. Yeah. Yeah. yeah His will. Good. So important. Believe it or not, ladies, when we finished this podcast, Thelma still had notes and lots of good stuff to tell us. She homeschooled her children all the way through graduation, and she has a segment coming up next week where she simply talks about homeschooling. And I know that's going to be really important right now because a lot of women are faced with that, am I going to homeschool or not? I wasn't planning on it, but next year is going to be different for me. So if you're curious what Thelma has to say about home education, make sure you come back next week for our third visit with Grandma Thelma. I hope that you've been encouraged or challenged in your faith today and that something we discussed prompts you to grow deeper in your walk with the Lord. If it has, make sure you tell a friend so they can grow along with you. And if you or a friend would like to be a guest and share about God's faithfulness in your life, please email me at podcast at tendingfields.net. Because when we tell of God's faithfulness, we never run out of stories. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, think on these things 